Lord, we do thank you for meeting us in the worship time. Lord, thank you for your presence that is almost tangible. Lord, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we continue this teaching tonight, Lord, on different barriers that stand in our way from learning that you are enough for us, God, I pray that you would just speak to those secret places in the heart that we all have. Lord, I pray that, Jesus, and help us, Lord, to allow you to continue to purify us through the different trials that we face in life, Lord. We trust what you're doing because we know you are trustworthy. So I just pray that you would have your way tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So tonight we're looking at the third barrier to learning that God is enough, and it's taking offenses but at God. Offenses at God. And hopefully by the end of this class, you'll know what I mean by that. So I don't know how many of you listened to the message from Times Square Church that I put on GroupMe. You did, okay. Yeah, that was like a timely word. And um, so we know the story of Job, right? And we know Job's attitude through the whole time he was being tested by God. Satan went before the throne of God, and God was the one that said, have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man. You can sift them as much as you want. And I love that message on Sunday night because it was just like a timely word. I'm like, yes, this is true, what we're hearing for our generation, for the times we're living in. Because when you think about it, how many times we get angry with God or offended at God because he doesn't do things the way we want him to do it. Or he doesn't answer prayers because we want him to answer it a certain way. Right? Our thinking in times of trouble, some of the, the quotes that were in the Bible study for this week was, look at all I've done to follow Jesus. And this is how he repays me? Bad attitude. I've done everything right, and now I have to have this tragedy to face? God's not fair. Other people I know are not suffering like I am. Where's the abundant life Jesus promised? I'm looking at offenses that when we get offended at God. This is not what I signed up for. I didn't know it was going to be so hard, so difficult. God owes me for all I've done for him. He doesn't owe us one another thing. He doesn't have to do another thing for us. I want to make that crystal clear. He doesn't have to. He sent his son to die for us. That should be enough. Should be enough. God, are you really who you say you are? Are you really enough for me? That first point there on taking offense, Albert Barnes commented, the word offense means a stumbling block in Matthew eleven six, 6, where it says, happy is he to whom I shall not prove a stumbling block. And throughout scriptures, we see different ones who were offended at Jesus because of things that he said to them. Matthew 13, verse 15 through 57, when Jesus had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Why were they offended at him? Because they felt that they knew him and where he came from. That's a, I mean, when you think about it, that they got offended at that. Let's look at another offense. Matthew 15, verse 1 through 12. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the tra tra traditions of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat bread, 
they answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your traditions? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or other. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your traditions. Hypocrites. This is Jesus. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me. This is Jesus speaking, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. And when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not goes, what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of a mouth, that's what defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Why were they offended at Jesus? He spoke the truth about them. He called out their hypocrisy, and they were offended. And think about when God calls out your hypocrisy, my hypocrisy. Do we get offended at him? But Lord, look at all the things I am doing right. Romans 9, verse 30 through 33. What shall we say then, Paul said, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Why were the religious Jews offended at Jesus, or the Apostle Paul, really? What happened to the Gentiles in the book of Acts? They got saved. And not only did they get saved, they got full of the Holy Spirit. And the Jews were offended at that. They were angry at God because it's only supposed to be for us. I don't know how many here, it's, we can read lots of scriptures, but it's, it's too much to read. I really want to get to the second part of this teaching. In Matthew 20, verse 1 through 16, this is when the landowner had hired people to come for work and it's a picture of Jesus and he decides he's going to give the same wages to the new people that started working versus the people that have been there all along and they were offended at him it's like we've been working our butt off if I could say it that way and you're going to give them more people they just started working here they were offended people got offended a lot at God thank God he's patient long-suffering <laughs> Thank God he's patient and long-suffering with us. There's a quote from the Bible study that I said, it never crossed my mind that he, the landowner, which Jesus was talking about himself, might have acted on the supposition that those who had worked in the vineyard the whole day would be deeply grateful to have had the opportunity to do their work for their boss and even more grateful to see what a generous man he was. Their greed blinded them to that. That man, he's given me more than enough. How can I ask him for more when I've already gotten more than enough? You know what I mean? He's already done everything I could even imagine. We sang that tonight. Just remembering, remembering, remembering how good he's been to us. And if he never does another thing, is it well with our soul? Are we okay with it? Or do we get offended at God? But you're supposed to, but you're supposed to. No, he's not. <laughs> he's not our puppet. He's the king of the universe. And like I loved in that message on Sunday night, the king still has one more move. The king has one more move. We need to just sit back and see, how is he going to move? 
what's his next move in this situation? Instead of getting mad at him, God, what are you doing? You're obviously doing something. You're doing something. See, we see this too in Luke 15, 11 through 32, the prodigal son. You all know the story of the prodigal son, right? The son went, spent his inheritance on everything in the world and found himself eating in the pig pen and realized, came to his senses, what am I doing here? I had it so much better at my father's house. I'm going to go back to where I was at. And the father saw him from a distance and he came running to him, put a robe, sandals, ring, and the oldest son was offended. Why was he offended? He was jealous. He was jealous. Yeah. He was jealous. The pulpit commentary said, blessed is he who is not offended in Christ, who recognizes Christ's spiritual greatness, Christ's infinite goodness, Christ's deep and holy love. Blessed is he who sees nothing in Christ to repel, but everything to attract and to convince. He is blessed, for he will find in Christ all that he needs, peace, comfort, hope, and rest for his soul. That's coming to a place where, God, you're enough for me. Even if you don't do one more thing the way I think you're supposed to do it, you're enough for me. And you really know if he's enough for you when you're in the fire. That's when you know. When you're in the fire. The second point there is choosing to trust. Trust is a choice. We could choose to trust the Lord, regardless of what's going on around us. Even though there might be fear, anxiety, worry, you can still choose to trust the Lord in the midst of it and not let the fear, worry, and anxiety rule and reign over your heart and your mind. You really can walk in that way. David said, you see it throughout the Psalms, David said, trust in God's preeminence and his ways can keep us from stumbling. And since we are finite beings, it could be difficult to grasp the infinite. That's from the Bible study. But I have a woman's Bible study. I just felt like this year I needed to do something different. I've been going through my read through the Bible uh, throughout the year for the past 33 years. The past few years, I've been doing the chronological Bible. I just felt like this year I need to do something different. So I said, I'm going to get a woman's study Bible. And man, it was the right thing to get. And this is from it. Um, I put this in here because this was just really tied in with what we're looking at on the attribute of God, his sovereignty. We can know this in our head, that he's sovereign. But do we know it in our heart? As I was reading through this, I was thinking that do we say it, but do we really believe it here where it matters, where it really matters? And again, you see what you believe when you're in the fire. That's how you learn these things. It's not when everything's going wonderful, great, yeah, I got it all together. No, that's not when you learn it. You learn it in the fire. From the woman's Bible study, She wrote, God alone is accountable to no one and is supreme in power, rank, authority, virtues, decrees, and works. She backs everything up with scripture there. Strictly speaking, the title sovereignty belongs only to him. Everything depends on God but he depends on nothing. Everything came from him, but he came from nowhere because he has no beginning and no end. He is the I am, the one of a kind. And again, you can look up all those scripture references that are on that handout. Since all life comes from him, 
he rightfully retains ultimate authority and will do what he pleases. He needs counsel from no one and no one qualifies to give him counsel. As we heard from that message on Sunday from Job. The title King of Kings means just that. Even among kings, he is the king. This sovereign one does not make occasional raids into our lives and world's events. Rather, he is intimately involved in the life of each person and rules the universe completely and perfectly. It's wonderful. That should bring such comfort to us, regardless of what you have to go through in this life. That he is intimately involved, but he also rules the universe. The stars, he knows them all by name, right? He upholds them by the power of his word. Ecclesiastes 15.5 says, As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. I mean, think about that. Do you know? I mean, that was basically what he was saying to Job when he read all those questions to him. Where were you? Oh, tell me if you think you know. Where were you? <laughs> we don't know. Isaiah 40, verse 13 to 14 says, Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him an understanding and showed him the way of understanding? Do you ever think about that? Good questions, Isaiah was asking. Isaiah 45, verse 9. Now we're looking at stumbling blocks here when we get offended at God. And Isaiah 45, verse 9. Isaiah stated, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. How many times have you quarreled? Have I quarreled with him? An earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? And we usually don't say it that way, right? Of the thing you are making, say, he has no hands. No, his hands are all over whatever he's making whatever he's doing, his fingerprints are all over it. See, reality is we're all clay. I love how she listens. She really listens. She's like, wow, <laughs> so intent. We're all clay in the potter's hands. And we have to remember God has a plan for each and every one of us. And you hear me say this a lot, and I really mean it with all of my heart. God knows how each one of our stories is supposed to play out. He knows. We may think, oh, no, it's not supposed to play out that way. But he's like, oh, yes, it is. You're not God. I'm the sovereign one. And I know how the story's playing out. And usually what happens after that, he'll say, will you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? God has a purpose. He's sovereign and he's in control. But what we see is, and we'll see in several other scriptures, the clay likes to quarrel and to speak back to the potter. We see that in Jeremiah 18, verse 6. 
the Lord instructed Jeremiah. He said, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at a wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does? Declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Lighthouse Biblical Counseling Center, Lighthouse on the Rock Fellowship, and all the members and believers here. Yeah, I couldn't help when I was reading these scriptures, like, man, if the girls could do a project, something with the clay and potter, that would be awesome. Like a display or something. That would be awesome to shape it into whatever they want to make, shape it into, because that's how God works in our lives. He's shaping us. He's molding us into the image of his son through everything we go through. And we don't like the way he chooses different things we go through. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't like what God uses. If we're honest with ourselves, we wouldn't pick those things. But he knows exactly what he's doing. The potter represents God's work in our lives. When we read through these scriptures, Isaiah 64, verse 8, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay, and you our potter, and all we are the work of your hands. That's like a picture of surrender right there. A real picture of surrender. Lord, I know you're my Lord. I know you're my Father. I know I'm in your hands. And I know you're working. I know you're working. The shapeless, sticky blob that lays smelly lump of clay that you start working when you're making something is you and me when we come to him. And then he starts working, working, working. Nah, doesn't look good. It smashes it down again. Working, working, working. Nah, we got to redo. Working, working, working. Ouch, yeah. It's usually ouch, yeah. It usually is ouch. But he knows what he's doing, and that's what has to be so real to us. God, you know what you're doing. Even though this makes no sense, you know what you're doing. Because reality is the potter is in total control. He knows when the project is finished, when it's perfect, when it's the way he wants it to be. He knows. He knows right from the start what he's doing, what he's making. And he knows when to apply the pressure and how much to apply. How much to apply. So what does the potter want from the clay when he's working with it? What do you think? Yieldedness. Yieldedness to be flexible, moldable. Right. Right. Sorry. Compliance. Compliance. Yeah. Compliance. Yeah. There used to be a quote that we used to quote all the time at the other ministry we were at. Blessed are the flexible for they won't be bent out of shape. (laughs) And I always remember that. It's like, okay, be flexible so you're not bent out of shape. You know, just like this. Live with your hands open all the time. He has the right to control and manipulate the clay for his purpose. Our response is to submit, be flexible, let him mold us. Yeah, let him mold us. Not to moan, not to groan, not to grumble. Because then we're heaping up offenses towards God. And it's a stumbling block where he can be enough for us in the midst of 
that trial you're going through. Because that's what he's after. Am I enough for you in the midst of this trial? Even if you lose, you fill in the blank, what's the dearest thing to you? That fill in the blank. Am I enough for you? That's what he's teaching us. That's what he's teaching us. The clay should not fight back to maintain its shape. No, but I like how things are. I'm comfortable right now. It looks good. <laughs> Nothing else needs to change. And he's like, mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> when we fight back, we're fighting against as well. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. It's like, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's better to just say, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. Romans 9, 20 through 21, it's amazing. It's, it's addressed also in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and for common use? That's what he's after in us. He's molding you and shaping you for noble purposes, for his glory to be revealed in the midst of what you're facing. That people will look and say, how in the world can you maintain joy or peace in the midst of that, what you're going through? Don't you want that to be a testimony? Because then it's an open door to be able to share with them, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. You know, sometimes we wonder why God would allow so many difficult things to come into our lives while it seems like others have it much easier. And sometimes it's, it's like that. It's like, man, I feel like I go from one fire to another 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 fire. I can't breathe. <laughs> Anyone here feel that way? I know there's a few in this room that feel that way. Be encouraged because you're being made into a special vessel that God has his fingerprints all over. When you come out of the fire, people will see. They'll see. They'll see the glory of God on display to a lost and dying world. I can't tell you how many saints I've known throughout the years, wonderful men and women of God that went through Horrific trials, horrific trials, one fire after another after another, and they always maintained the joy of the Lord. They always had a song of praise on their lips. And I always felt like, man, these are like my role models. I knew God was teaching me something all those years. These are my role models here. I've even seen saints dying in the hospital where we've gone to the hospital and they died. And it's like, Lord, let me go out like they did. With a song of praise, joy, not holding on to anything. Role models, models. God puts them in our lives. So we learn how not to offend, have these offenses toward God, but come to that place where I said last week, it is well with my soul. It really is well with my soul. Think about all the saints that have gone before us, Joseph, Moses, Daniel, Paul. Did they have it easy? None of them did. But look how we benefit from their lives, what they teach us, not only in our generation, but how many generations have been affected by their lives and the trials they went through. That we look at them and it's like, how in the world did they go through that? Job, I could throw Job in there too. But yet we benefit by reading their stories and seeing how they endured 
sufferings and hardships. You know, we really have to come to grips with this reality. In Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, the Lord said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That should give us comfort and cause rejoicing in our heart knowing that that means God is like, he's the only one I want to get counsel from. He's sovereign, he's supreme, he's just, there's not even words to put into English language, just, that's who I want over my life. Not someone that's wishy-washy or unsure or just all over the place. Someone that knows better than me. Lord, you know better than me. You see better than me. You see what's ahead, you see what's behind, you see what's in the middle. I could trust you because you see the whole picture. You see the beginning and the end. So I could trust you. Even though it doesn't make sense, I could trust you. Remember, choosing to trust. We can choose to trust in the midst of it. Romans 11, verse 33 through 36 says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Erwin Lutz, I love this. We, we were blessed to be able to meet him. We did an event years ago in his church in Chicago, Moody Bible uh, School and um, the Moody Church that's there. He said, he does, this is, this is really good. It does little good for us to object to what he chooses to do. <laughs> you get that? It does little good for us to object to what he chooses to do. When he said to Moses, I am that I am, he in effect said, I am who I am and not who you would prefer me to be. I love that. I love that. I mean, I want my father to like, I am who I am, not who you want me to be. Aren't you happy when the Lord disciplines you? Some of you don't look convinced that you're happy when the Lord disciplines you. He disciplines those he loves. It means you're a daughter when he disciplines. I'm thankful I am who I am and not who you would prefer me to be. Trusting God as the great I am is at the heart of not doubting him. See, this is reality. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3, I know we don't want to hear this, but this is reality. And we know that this is true because we see God's people that have gone before us have walked in this way. The Lord said, when you... Not if you, not if you, when you, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you, not if you, walk through fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We see that. Children of Israel went through the Red River, right? Red Sea. Same with Jordan River. They went through. Joshua, they went through the waters. What about Daniel in the fiery furnace? God was with them there. 
We need to look for him. When we're in the waters, when we're passing through them, we need to look for him there. We need to realize, I'm going to go through. I'm going to come out on the other side. I have to walk through this, but I will come out the other side. Why? Because he's with me. And he leads us. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us. I've seen him do that. I was so blessed to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with my dad the week he was dying. We literally walked him through that, prayed him through that every single day from here. And it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. We have to know he's our God. He is our God. See, God's ways are not our ways, but they're always right. God's ways are not our ways, but they're always right. I think Job said, when he tries me, he knows the path I'll take, but when he tries me, I'll come forth as gold. He had a reality of this. As we face different trials in this life, we can be confident that God is at work. And you have to tell yourself that. God, you're at work. God, you're at work. And even if your husbands are losing it, <laughs> remind them, God's at work. He is at work. He's with us. He doesn't owe us anything. He's already given us everything. Tell your husband that when they get upset. When they get upset because they see you suffering. But you know God's giving you that cup to drink. So what are you going to do? Push the cup away? Jesus drank it for us. And sometimes husbands have a hard time with that. So encourage them by saying, God's at work. We can be confident that he's at work. He knows what he's doing. He really does know what he's doing. Randy Alcorn, some of you know who he is. He wrote the book on heaven. I've been going through his um, book, Questions About Heaven, with my mom. I sent it to her, and we've been going through it together. And he says, some people can't believe God would create a world in which people would suffer so much. Isn't it more remarkable that God would create a world in which no one suffers more than he? God's son bore no guilt of his own. He bore ours. And in his love for us, God self-imposed the sentence of death on our behalf. One thing we must never say about God is that he doesn't understand what it means to be abandoned utterly, suffer terribly, and die miserably. These are good scriptures and quotes to meditate on, especially when you're in a trial and you feel, this is not fair, I've had enough. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8. Jeremiah said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when he comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Don't you want that to be you? Don't you want to be that tree whose roots are deep in the waters of life? Because water gives life. 
Think about if you don't water a plant, it'll shrivel up and die. But the minute, let's say you forgot to water for a while and it's like, you know, looking pretty pathetic. But the minute you give it water, it's just like, hmm, thank you. <laughs> thank you. We want to be like that tree planted by rivers of water, right? And the wonderful promise is when the heat comes, we don't fear because we're planted by the rivers of living water. Your leaf is green. There's life there because you're planted by the rivers of living water. You're not anxious. If everything starts drying up, the finances, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? We don't have to be anxious. We're planted by rivers of living water, right? Jesus said, look at the birds. Keep looking at the birds. Keep looking. I feed them. I feed them. How much more will I take care of you? And he has, right? Yeah, he has. Amazing. We look and it's like, oh. <laughs> and he's like, I got this. I got this. Romans 8, 28, you all know the scripture verse. We know that all things, and I like to include there the good, the bad, and the ugly, work together for good <coughs> to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So try to train yourself to look for the good that God is doing in the midst of whatever you're going through so that this hindrance that blinds us or blocks us from learning that God is enough of accusing God or being offended at God, whether from telling us truth or calling out our hypocrisy or disciplining us when we need the disciplining or he feels like, okay, I need to reshape. I need to reshape this lump of clay that you are. So I'm going to bring some heat to do that. He doesn't ask, are you okay with it? He's not asking for our permission. He's just going to bring it. Can we say it's well with my soul? It really is well with my soul. I mean it. We need to have this testimony that Habakkuk had in chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. And we can if we know that he's working out whatever that thing is we're going through for good in our lives or good in our family's life or good in our husband's life or good in our children's lives or grandchildren's life. He wants to use it for everyone. Habakkuk said, though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines. Think about this. This is just talking about like the food they're going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing there. There's the fig trees not blossoming. There's no fruit on the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herds in the stall. Sounds like what Job went through. He lost everything. But Habakkuk said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he'll make me walk on my high places. And how many times, just think about trials that God has brought into your life that you felt like, I'm sinking, I'm going under, I can't even breathe. But yet somehow he made you to walk on those high places, those high hills. Here you are today. You're still going. You haven't quit. You haven't quit. You're still here. You're still here. So in the rest of the handout, you have homework just to look at just different things, questions you can ask yourself. <coughs> whoever's listening. One of the questions is, what did you learn about God's love and character in the passages you studied? And, and this is a good question to look at and answer, especially when trials come. And then look at, okay, what do I really believe about God? 
is my thinking lined up with what scripture says about who he is? Or do I have a false view of God that maybe God wants to correct in this trial that I'm in? I remember when I first came to the Lord, I felt like God was the God that punished you for everything. So everything bad that would happen, I always felt like I was being punished. And God had to severely correct that. And part of the correction was being at Pure Life for 22 years, the mercy studies, going through the mercy studies. I was like, man, did I see God totally wrong, totally wrong. He's nothing what I thought. But you see, that's the Catholic upbringing that Jeff was talking about in there. You got to be good, otherwise God's going to get you. God's going to punish you. And there's some truth to, yeah, we, we bear the consequences of our sin, but it was always you, so you behave right. <laughs> yeah, but the wrong kind of fear. Yeah, so where, you know, look at, okay, based on what the scriptures say, based on what I looked at tonight, where does my thinking about God need to be corrected by the word of God? And that's why I say we should love the discipline of God because we need to see him in the right way. Otherwise, we'll be offended at him or accusing him. You're not God. Look, look, you're not. You're not. Do all the questions we open with, the attitudes we have in our heart. The next question, how does comprehending the greatness of God's wisdom and ways help you in trusting him? So the, the whole study on the clay and the potter, that was not in the Bible study. But as I was going through the chapter, the Lord was leading me in that way. And I was like, I need to pull this in to this class because when we're on the potter's wheel, we can have a really bad attitude about it. You know what I mean? But that's where we get offended and start accusing God. And remember, Satan did that in the Garden of Eden. God is not good. He's withholding from you. You need to be your own God. And that's the curse we're always fighting, wanting to be our own God or wanting to put ourselves up there with him. And that's foolish, <laughs> especially after we looked at scriptures that tell us what he's like and we just like a little snippet of what he's like. Who the heck do I think I am, you know? So the next question is, ask God to search your heart for times when he was not the God you would prefer for him to be and pray over these circumstances, acknowledge his sovereignty and renew your trust in his infinite goodness. And I'll do the last one here. As you pray, ask God to search your heart for any unconfessed offenses that you have against him. Run to him in repentance. Share your heart concerning your doubts and wounds, if you have wounds there. Tell the Lord that you desire to trust his ways and to learn acceptance and endurance as his disciple. And that's a lifelong lesson right there. Ask for increased faith in his plan and provision for you because we need that. We need to be asking him, Lord, increase my faith because right now I... I'm in unbelief or, Lord, I believe, it's like the Father, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, you know. Thank him that he understands and has experienced the discipline of dismay in a far greater way than you can imagine or comprehend. Rejoice that his answer to your questions will always include the gift of himself. And that's why we do this Bible study, because that's the whole end goal of this Bible study, God is enough for us. He's really enough for us. Commit your way to his ways, and with great faith, place your hand in his. Great faith, place your hands in him. Because he said, when you walk through the water, the fire, I will be with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff are there to comfort me.
And you can close by praying Habakkuk's prayer. Just praying that prayer to the Lord. Even though I lose everything, my identity is not in what I own, not even in my physical. My identity is only in Christ. It's only in Christ. And if I lose it all, everything this world values, if I lose it all, I can still have joy in the God of my salvation. I can still rejoice in the Lord like Habakkuk did. And I could trust you will be my strength. You'll make my feet like deer's feet, and I'll be able to climb those impossible places that it's like, how in the world am I going to do this? You're going to help me. That's how I'm going to do this. You give me the grace. You're going to help me. You have that attitude. You won't be throwing offenses at God if you have that attitude. Lord, I do thank you that you have us all in school, <laughs> if I could say it that way. And each, for each one of us, it's, it's different. I said that last week. Different lessons to teach us different pathways to take to get that lesson deep within our heart that you want to get into our heart, Lord. I thank you that you are so involved in our lives. It's not funny. I mean, how when we could trace back and look back, we see that you would just, you orchestrate everything all the time perfectly from the beginning to the end, Lord. And I pray that you would just continue to help us to grow in our faith, believe in what the word of God says about you is true, and to learn how to give thanks in everything, in every single thing, Lord. No matter if we want to go that pathway or not, let us have a grateful heart, because I know that's what you're after in all of us, Lord. So we do pray that as we leave here tonight, we would just continue to consider these words and that you would continue to prepare us for what the future holds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.